Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome into episode 110 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast. The Natty Hattie. Oh, new look for the show. Mm-hmm. Alongside Craig Morgan, I'm Luke Lipinski. Jamie Eisner is on vacation yet again. But unlike Jamie, Craig and I work when it's a, it's a Monday. So here we are. This is, he is on vacation again, just like he did three years ago, right? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's unreal with this guy. Every it couple years, he just takes off. So we don't need him, obviously. I mean, we've, we've heard the listeners in the past, and we've gotten the feedback to the episodes where Jamie's not here. And uh, quite <laughs> frankly, they're pretty high. The, the, the season is upon us. Training camp starts this week. Rookie camp started last week. There were rookie tournaments over the weekend. Craig, it just feels good to have hockey back, especially here in Arizona where football season is officially over. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because it does feel like football season ended after one week of the NFL and two weeks of the college football season since all of our teams lost, and now key players are dropping like flies. Yeah, it's not just the losses, it's the yeah, injuries. Let's, let's just talk hockey. Let's, uh, let's start with some news and notes. We're going to preview the Edmonton Oilers later on in the show, and that's certainly one of the, uh, the more compelling teams around the NHL. But I feel like we have to start with a story that happened right after our last podcast last week. You and I saw the story separately. Uh, we ran into each other at the Coyotes rookie camp the following day, and both had the same shocked look on our faces. The Winnipeg Jets have extended Paul Maurice four years. Why? <laughs> Nothing against Paul Maurice, but why? That's uh, what's. You, you said that the two of us had the same reaction. Everybody that I talked to at Coyotes practice that day had the same reaction. And I'm now looking at a story that I wrote a month ago. Seven NHL coaches who could be on the hot seat and who is at the top of the list and whose photo is featured prominently at the top of the story, <laughs> Winnipeg Jets coach Paul Maurice, whose team has done nothing the last two years to warrant a four-year extension. In fact, they should have been looking at him and saying, you need to get off to a fast start with all the ridiculous offensive and blue line talent that you have, or else you may not have a job. Instead, they've extended him four years. I have no earthly idea why you do this. We have talked at length about the Jets on this show as a team that drafted really well in previous years. Uh, the Mark Scheifele pick looks brilliant now. It actually looked pretty good at the time, too. But, I mean, now he's one of the best players in the NHL. Uh, certainly one of the most underrated top players in the NHL. They got very lucky last year, winning the uh, lottery, essentially, to move up and get Patrick Laine. But he's not the only good player they have. They've built this very impressive young offensive core, and they do have a solid defense as well. It's not Paul Maurice's fault that they don't go out and get a goalie. He's not the GM. But the way this team has trended and the fact that they've never won a playoff game since moving to Winnipeg, let alone a series. From Atlanta, thank you. Yeah. They, uh, with his, his contract set to expire at the end of this upcoming season, it seemed almost like a no-brainer that you would just 
Let's see how you start. If you right. don't start well, then we're probably going to make a change in the offseason anyway, so we'll make that change. We can talk extension at some point a couple months into the season. Yeah. If we got off to a hot start, great. Hey, this is, everybody's on board. We're happy with what you're doing. But why? why? What's the rush? He's not Connor McDavid. Nobody was going to offer sheet Paul Maurice. They've missed the playoffs the last two seasons. They missed the playoffs. Completely missed the playoffs, yes. This was the perfect situation to go in and say, prove it. Get off to a good start, talk extension. You don't. We've seen time and time again in the NHL that, that this is the league where changing coaches midseason can actually really spark a team. Now Winnipeg can't do that. You can't do that when you just gave them a four-year extension. If I'm, they start like one and nine, I don't think they will, but if they did, what do you do? You, you have to keep them now. Do you think other coaches were telling players, hey, look, he can't recruit because he's not going to be there? Oh, wait, no, that's college. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to find a reason behind this. I feel like I'm, Nick Saban was still saying it, though, for some reason. <laughs> trying to find a reason for this. They And maybe they just said, hey, we, we went out and got you Steve Mason, so we know you're set to succeed now. We've set you up to succeed. <laughs> yep, that was it. Uh, good luck figuring that one out. Look, you can't fire him now, right? He's fireproof. You can't fire a guy that's year. got a four-year extension because what's the buyout look like? Way too much. Unless we don't know something about that buyout. I, I don't know the details of that buyout. But. Yeah, look, I don't know what to do. If, if you're a Jets fan... Sorry, that's just sort of the way this has played out. Now, it's it's not it's not inconceivable that this team just makes the playoffs this year and this is sort of forgotten. I mean, they they should make the playoffs, but now you've needlessly forced yourselves to walk the tightrope right out of the gate, and I just don't get it. Uh, a couple other news and notes. Actually, Craig, you don't even know about this one, but the Stanley Cup odds are out. Have you seen this? I don't read odds, so. Okay. Well, moral high ground. Five minutes into the uh, show. For just for the sake of conversation, Craig, you go ahead and put them out there. Luke. I, <laughs> I just I know that's important. To I'm tr- you. It's, uh, yeah, whatever. I'm trying to get a sense it's of part of your business, right? Uh huh. Yeah, okay. trying to get a sense of of nationally slash internationally with with Canada, who are which teams are being perceived as the top contenders and which teams are being perceived as not having a chance. Do you, you since you're not looking, okay. do you care to guess any of the the top five teams? See if you can guess the top five. Uh, Favorites to win the cup. Pittsburgh's in there. They're actually number one. Yeah, I would. I would assume, even though three peating would be very difficult, I would put. I would guess the two teams that we're going to talk about this week are probably in there: Edmonton and Toronto. Are Ed, they both? Edmonton is number two. And where's Toronto? Uh, Toronto is in a five-way tie for fifth. Okay. So. So I'm missing a couple teams above them. Is Anaheim in there? Anaheim is also in that five-way tie for fifth. This backfired. There's actually nine teams here because, I, for some reason, they did a five-way tie. So here, let me do this. Pittsburgh's one, most likely to win the Cup. Edmonton's two. At five, Anaheim, Nashville, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Washington are tied. Who's three and four? Edmonton, Nashville, Tampa Bay. Anaheim, Nashville, Tampa Bay, Toronto, and Washington are all considered the fifth most likely to win the Cup. Wow. So who's three and four? Three and four. Tell me they don't have... Wait, did you say Washington's in that? That Washington's in, in that tie too. Yeah, for people that don't Dallas? watch hockey, and is still Dallas think up the there? Capitals win the cup. Uh, Dallas is number four. Okay, so I'm just missing number three. Just missing number three. You're not telling me it's the team that it's not Chicago. It's is absolutely it? Chicago. Come on, that's just that's wrong. The Blackhawks <laughs> are not the, the Blackhawks are not that good. That blue line is a train wreck. Well, according to the people, they're the third most likely team in the NHL to win the Stanley Which Cup. People? All of the people. Which people are we talking about? The, the public. That, right? That's what drives these. I think that's how odds are made is, is how, how the public feels. Okay. So. It's just, is it, are we talking popular vote or? 
Well, I don't think the popular vote matters, does it? Clearly it doesn't. All right. Uh, I wish it did. Looking at the Blackhawks' uh, defense, they added a few big names. Do you see these? The Blackhawks, yeah. their defense, Cody yeah. Bronson. Yes, I did see. Uh, let's see, John Mitchell, Drew would, Miller, would you, would you and you call Mark those Stewart. big names? Well, I mean, big guy. They're not Cody even really a big guy, names. but yeah. So uh, uh, maybe that's what not drove feeling the odds any up. better about the blue line. Okay, oh, I just figured I'd uh, okay. <laughs> give you a chance. Speaking of blue lines, look oh. at that. Oh, look at that transition that setup. That, that's that's good stuff. Ryan Ellis. Wow. We we talked about yeah. this at Coyotes the other day too. Hit number one to Nashville's. Hopes of getting back to the cup final came when they lost James Neal in the offseason to Vegas. Hit number two comes with a guy who maybe was their best defenseman in the postseason. Ryan Ellis is going to be out a while now. I think he he was their best defenseman. Uh, you know, P.K. Subban was probably the best player for hockey in the, the playoffs last year because he he's exactly what I've said the NHL needs and, and needs to market for years and years now. And when Nashville got to the Stanley Cup, I mean, ESPN was doing stories on him. Everybody was doing stories. Everybody who is a, just a sports fan that tunes in to the Stanley Cup. And, and most sports fans do, even if they don't follow hockey. They tune into the Cup in early June, and they had a specific player to latch onto that wasn't just Sidney Crosby in, in P.K. Subban. So in that regard, P.K. Subban, I think, was the most important player. But Ryan Ellis was Nashville's best player. And, and to your point, you know, this is, this is why teams don't repeat. And this is why teams weren't teams don't even make it back multiple years. I mean, prior to Pittsburgh doing it last year, the last two teams that had done it were Pittsburgh and Detroit like 10 years ago when they played each other in back-to-back years. You just lose players. James Neal is an odd example because there's not usually an expansion draft, but stuff like this happens. Nashville's not going to get back to the cup this year. They probably aren't. No. Yeah, and and I you know it's too bad because I bet a lot of those fans are thinking this is the step toward something greater but you can't you can't rely on that and, and these are two just I, I don't even know what this timeline means right now all we've seen is i haven't seen any updates on several months have you but but no. several months doesn't sound good no several is probably more than three right so he's gonna miss more than half the season that's that's a good blue line that's a deep blue line so they may be able to withstand it to a certain degree but that's a really good player to take out of your lineup after you lost Neil too. Well, and look, it's it's worth pointing out, and I'm not taking away from anything Nashville did last year, but they were like the last team into the playoffs in the Western Conference, and they wouldn't have even made it with their record in the Eastern Conference. So they underachieved last year in the regular season. I think they are a lot closer to being the team that, that reached the Stanley Cup last year. But if you're going to lose Ryan Ellis for, let's say, three months, this isn't a situation like – this isn't in the NBA where the Cavs might – rest LeBron James for a little bit because they know they're going to be in the playoffs and they'll just turn it on then. There's no guarantee Nashville makes the playoffs. I still think they do, but this is a this is a legitimate hit to uh, to what they're trying to do. Uh, let's see other topics. Matt Duchesne. <laughs> what is going on here? <laughs> How many times do we have to ask this question before somebody answers it for us? It's a soap opera. It's a soap opera. I, I still think what's going to happen here is Matt Duchesne has to report to training camp and he has to play well. I'm sure he's motivated to play well, so... He can get out of there. I'm sure Colorado's wants him to play well so they can get him out of there. But right now, he has low trade value. He's not going to get anything close to what Joe Sackick wants for him in return. He wants a very high return because he thinks he's still an elite center. He didn't produce like it last season. And by the way, again, as I've said at least half a dozen times on this show, Joe Sackick isn't helping himself by mentioning to other GMs that there are attitude issues there. The worst car salesman ever. You really, what do I have to do to put you in this car? But it doesn't drive very well. Yeah. <laughs> but can you buy it right now? Because we really need to get it off the lot. I mean, that's what Matthew Shane is. And 
we've gotten to the point now where it's swung so far. I'm, I'm fairly convinced a team is going to end up ripping Colorado off. I mean, the, the conversation around Matt Duchesne now is, oh, yeah, I mean, you don't want that guy on your team, blah, blah, blah. And, and I get it. But he had 70 points a couple years ago, and he broke 30 goals two seasons ago, and he's still pretty young relatively. If you're not going to have to pay that much to get him, then somebody's going to – let's put it this way. Somebody's going to be happy they got Duchesne for whatever they have to give up for. Here's the thing, though. If you sell low on Matt Duchesne at, with, with how few pieces Colorado has right now to build a team, if you sell low on him, to me, that's, that's death knell for Joe Sackick. He can't do that. He can't afford to do that. He just doesn't have enough in his system, on his roster, to build a team. If you're not going to, if, if you're going to trade Matt Duchesne, you got to get pretty good value for him, and that's why I think they have to wait this one out. But I, I guess the possibility exists that it could get worse. Well, yeah, because I mean, it, you always wonder how the player is going to react because you know the player. If we know the stuff and we don't live in Colorado. Obviously, Matt Duchesne is well aware of all this. And so you wonder how the player is going to react. It doesn't sound like he's reacting all that well at this point. Uh, it's, it's an ugly situation for a team that can, can ill afford another ugly situation. Their whole team is an ugly situation last year. So I don't know how you get better. And they've got young players coming in. How do you get better with, with a potentially bad locker room? And, and, I mean, look, their coach, maybe he was set up to fail when he stepped in, Jared Bednar, but he's, uh, he's, he's not... He's not turning things around. <laughs> no. Uh, RFA signings. So we get Sam Bennett, Bo Horvat, and Tyler Witherspoon signed. Still a few left. Seven most guys. notably David Pasternak in Boston. Any update there? Just the talks continue. I mean, Don Sweeney keeps saying, we're going to get him signed. We're going to get him signed. But How long are these talks? Are they like two-minute conversations? No, I mean, it's funny because it went from you, you heard, saw the initial reports that they were talking a six-year deal. And then when Leon Dreisaitl signed his eight-year deal, that was out the window. Yeah. It was, I was going to mention that. You know, we, we, we are, uh, you know, when we talked to Rob Tchaikovsky from the Edmonton Sun, Leon Dreisaitl set the bar for David Pasternak. David Pasternak's got to thank him for what's probably going to happen in this contract now because he's going to get an eight-year deal. Basically, Peter Chiarelli screwed over Boston one last time <laughs> is, is what you're saying, right? It's a really good point. Yeah. It's a good way to end that note, actually. Yeah. So I, I would assume he gets signed soon, but uh, yeah, got to get it done here at some point. The draft age potentially moving to 19. I, you asked actually a couple of the Coyotes rookies this at Coyotes uh, camp late last week, rookie camp late last week. Dylan Strome gave you an answer that was so long and thoughtful, I ended up having to go do something else. I mean, he's you talk about a student of the game. I, what, what did he say? Because he, he gave well, you a pretty thorough answer. Yeah, he was all, I'm curious, most, most, most of all, I'm curious why the NHL would want this. Uh, I still haven't gotten a great answer from a couple of executives that I've talked to. And look, what both of them have told me, too, is they can ask for all they want, but the NHLPA is going to want something in return, so this may just be a non-starter. Uh, whether they whether they think it's a good idea or not for development, whether it's good for the CHL if more players stay there, because the CHL doesn't benefit enough from the NHL already, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I was also curious to know if he thinks, you know, more guys will go the college route. Maybe you go to play in the U.S. where you don't have to deal with that CHL rule. Or maybe you do what uh, Austin Matthews did if you feel like your game is at the right place. You go to Europe and play professional hockey and prepare yourself to jump into the NHL in one year. It's going to be interesting if, if this actually comes to pass, which I still have my doubts about. It'll be interesting to see what the fallout would be, what sort of impact it would have, and if it would have a different impact than some of these people are thinking. It's, it is a very uh, – it, w- it would change the entire 
landscape of the sport, really, especially the, the you, first year. Do you year. like the idea? I don't really see a problem with the system the way it is right now. I mean, you, you look at other sports, and you look at college basketball specifically, and you look at how bad that product has become, and I understand. And especially because in the NBA, what there's basically 12 guys on a team, a lot of these guys that are freshmen that are getting drafted are just never playing, or they're not ready, or whatever. So I, I for the NBA, I understand why you'd want like a certain age restriction. For the NHL, I'm, I'm more concerned with the fact, and we saw it firsthand here, but you see it around the league every year, that a guy like Dylan Strome would have benefited by going to the AHL more than just back to junior. And he ended up, in that specific case, getting a lot out of junior, playing for Team Canada and, and right. having success uh, with Erie. But there's a lot of players every year that NHL teams and the player would benefit if they could just be sent to the AHL. That, to me, is more of a concern than this. I can see a benefit for the for the league in that you let these guys develop another year. That 18-19 to 19 thing can often be a big jump, but sometimes it's because... You get the NHL club with their hands on the player and say, you need to do this, this, and this. So you start the weight training. You start the program that physically matures those players so you can evaluate them better. But that one year might help in that process so you don't make as many mistakes when you're drafting guys. But beyond that, I don't know. I, and I, I don't want to see a situation where the CHL has more control over players, no. where we're just shutting players out of the process because of this. I would like to see more guys... You talk. You talked to. You heard what Dylan said, and you heard what Clayton Keller says too. Clayton Keller has a little different mindset. He went to college, but a lot of players get it in their head that they got to go play junior hockey because that's that's what Canadians do. Yeah, I'd like to see them just sort of open their eyes a little more and say, okay, if you're going to try and control my financial situation, I'm going to play the system too. I'm going to go to a college in the U.S. where you can't tell me, you know, that I got to go back to juniors. I'm going to go to Europe and then jump into the pros. Look at your options, because this is a business, ultimately, and clearly the league is taking it in that direction if they're considering this. Yeah, you, you can hear the different perspectives from players, because if you look at Austin Matthews' situation, you know, would he miss the draft cutoff by just a couple days? Otherwise, he might be a coyote right now, or Jack Eichel would. Okay, but, uh, <laughs> but either way, he, he didn't grow up in Toronto. And so you, when you hear Dylan Strom talk the other day at practice, you know, his, his older brother played junior hockey. He grew up watching junior hockey and going to junior hockey games. It was a big deal to him to play mm-hmm. in junior hockey. Whatever that was. I that guess. was an interesting sound. <laughs> we'll never, is there a yak loose in the studio? <laughs> uh, you know, for, for Austin Matthews, he didn't have those ties. He just wanted to play hockey. He saw an opportunity to go and, and develop his game in Europe, and uh, he was able to do it. So you're right. It's different perspectives for different players. Player safety. George Peros is now heading the department. And Shane Doan, you have a question mark next to his name. I, I can say that Shane Doan is not considering a job with player safety. Okay. I can tell you that. So we can cut that one off. But have you ever met George Paros? Uh, briefly, once. Great guy. It, very, <laughs> yes, very much. Player safety, I never know what to think of these appointments. Who knows until they take the job? Is, is he qualified in any way to do this? Or who, who does he know? What, who, who is he friends with that got him this gig in the first place? I, I never know how these things go down. But George Paros is a lovable guy. So You would think, though, that whoever is heading player safety would be somebody who won the Lady Bing like three or four times, and it never right. is. It's right. always guys that either fought or were right on the edge of yes. you know some physical plays or whatever, and then they end up heading player safety, which I guess, I mean, they, they know how to toe the line better than anybody. But we're going to see like Brad Marchand heading player safety in 15 <laughs> right. years or yes, something. It is weird, the guys that get this job. But I mean, Shane Doan in, in some ways would have been a weird, as Shane said, when he finally retired, he admitted, you yeah, know, I was probably a pretty dirty player when I was on the ice. 
Yes, he was. Well, here, this is why I wanted to bring up Shane Doan. We can say this, correct? That mm-hmm. he's going to be on the podcast next. That's the plan, at least. That is the plan. So this is episode 110. 111 will come out later this week. That'll be a preview of, of Toronto and Colorado. Uh, either 112 or 113, which will come out next week. Shane, it's just going to basically be a Shane Doan episode with Shane Doan. The Grand Marshal of the Fiesta Bowl Parade. <laughs> yes. We'll ask him about that. Ask him if he's actually going to be riding one of his horses. I don't see how he could do it with not, without doing that. He sort of have, has to now. We're going to call yes. him out on that, I Okay. Think. Uh, but yeah, that's we've because we've been getting some tweets and some emails from people wondering why we just sort of glazed over the fact that Shane Doan retired when we're here in Phoenix, uh, and we both have met him and know him pretty well. There, there's a reason, and I think that, I remember him. Yeah. That reason is we're just going to talk to him about it, so we didn't want to sit here. We're not maybe not going to talk to him about that. We're just going to talk to him about what's next for him. Uh, really, the conversation could go literally in any direction. Everywhere but fantasy baseball, as we've noted. That's what Craig's hoping for, but I guarantee you it comes up at some point. Okay, a little Caesars Arena is opening. I'm going to see it. Oh, wow. Uh, on the Coyotes road trip, they, they go through New York for three games, Philly, and then they close the road trip in Detroit. I can't wait to see this place because everybody that I've talked to that's been there said it set the standard for NHL arenas now. It's supposed to be spectacular. And it, it if you know anything about the history of Detroit and how, how much that downtown area suffered for a long time, it was destitute. All the businesses were moving out. Mike Illich has really been focused on trying what well, he was, the, the late Mike Illich, owner of the, the Red Wings who passed away, uh, was really focused on trying to revitalize downtown Detroit. And part of that was by bringing all the teams back. And, and now the Joe Louis Arena, which desperately needed to go. I mean, it had a great history, but it, it also had an unbelievable smell to it when you walked <laughs> in there. Every, everywhere in the arena, including the press box where I felt like I was working right next to a urinal. It was it was an awful smelling building. Never it needed to go. Point. Great history, but this place is supposed to be spectacular. So I can't wait to see it. It's right in the heart of the city. Really cool story. And you made sure that we mentioned this the week that Jamie wasn't here, so he couldn't say anything off color about the actual team that they're going to put on the ice. Yes, the AHL team that will be playing in that arena. Okay, yes. that's uh, that's fair. And before we get to Edmonton, one last note here. This is the headline: The Montreal Canadiens will start Alex Galchenyuk at wing. So now we know, at least for now. Yeah. He's a wing. And they will experiment Not a center. Jonathan Drouin at center. We talked about Montreal, and we previewed them earlier uh, in the, the summer. That was kind of the, the conversation. One of them, one of those two guys has to step in and be a center for them. Mm-hmm. And for the longest time, they've gone back and forth in Montreal. Whether it was Michel Therrien or, or Claude Julien now, back and forth on whether or not Alex Galchenyuk is capable of being an NHL center or if he's better off at wing, well... We're back to wing, apparently. But I think some of that is the simple fact that they have Drewan. If they didn't have Drewan, you didn't really have an option at that point. Yeah, I guess you can experiment and see how that works out. And you can always go back to Galchenyuk at center. We had a, a long conversation about this with Mark antoine Godin, who I believe has jumped ship and now is with The Athletic like every other writer in, in Canada. I feel like everybody we interview gets promoted. Is there something to that? There may be. All right. Come on, come on the Natural Hattrick podcast if you're looking for a larger salary. Yeah, if you're looking to advance your career, well, come talk to us, and we'll just keep doing this podcast. All right. We're going to preview the Edmonton Oilers right now with Rob Tchaikovsky of the Edmonton Sun. Let's get into it. All right. We continue our summer preview series with one of the most exciting young teams in the NHL, the Edmonton Oilers. We are joined now by Rob Tchaikovsky of the Edmonton Sun. Rob, thanks for uh, for joining us. You can find Rob on Twitter at Rob underscore T-Y-C-H-K-O-W-S-K-I. 
Rob, how much of a surprise was last season, and what sort of bar is it setting now for this season? Uh, so last season, sort of, sort of they 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 readjusted their expectations on the fly. Like like they knew, you know, they had Connor McDavid and they had signed Lucic, and they you know they they made a, a few big moves in the off season. But when you're an organization that had missed the playoffs for ten years in a row, you know, tying the NHL record for longest streak of futility in history you, you never set things that high so you know i remember in training camp talking talking to you know people and you know and even players and they said they had their own goals and basically the 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 expectation at the start of the year was that hopefully the Oilers could be a team that that made the playoffs and then when the season kind of began they got off to a really good start and they you know kind of jumped up to the top of the uh the division and the conference and then hanging around there for a while and people in Edmonton are sort of used to failure here so they're thinking okay well, when is this all going to go wrong like it usually does <laughs> and it wouldn't happen and and then sort of you know by the time it got to be like December and January they're like you know okay you know, this team looks like it's for real it, it can be a playoff team and then you know once the playoffs came around they thought you know make the playoffs for sure because that was kind of a foregone conclusion with like a couple of months to go you know, they thought they would, you know, put up a good fight, and you know, if they bowed out in the first round or whatever, they'd, they'd still be a decent season. Nobody expected them to go to Game Seven and to, to get that close to the conference final. So, you know, um, they, like I said, they adjusted on the fly, and, and by the time everything was all said and done, they they overachieved because nobody really, even when the playoffs began, expected them to do as well as they did. Is there belief then, and even the expectation that they can build on that? There, yeah. I mean, there. You had last year. It's kind of, you know, there's two sides to look at this. You know, everybody is, uh, you know, uh, the key guys are a year older and a year more experienced, and they've bolstered some areas. But at the same time, last season, there were eight or nine players on that team who had career highs, and they stayed, you know, the top six uh, forwards and top four defensemen, and their goalie was largely injury-free for the entire season. Everything went absolutely perfectly, and it's going to be tough to duplicate that. Uh, under any circumstances. So I think there might be a bit of a sag, but I think this is a team right now that when it does sag can still be a team that makes the playoffs and should be expected to get to the second round. I think they should be expected to do this year what they did last year, even though there might be a few more bumps along the way because, like I said, everything went absolutely perfectly last season. Nice to have the luxuries of the two guys they have up the middle at the at the top of that lineup. And and on that topic, wanted to ask you that you know Connor McDavid gets his massive extension, which will kick in in another year. Leon Draisaitl gets his big deal. Without this team ever even advancing to a conference final, there are two sort of schools of thought here. I think this one has been dissected quite a bit. The Blackhawks play uh, pay Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves deals that kick in after the Hawks had won three cups. These guys' deals are well. McDavid's will kick in next season. They haven't advanced past the first round yet in the postseason. What's your take on all that, on maybe paying for potential versus past performance? Yeah, two different cases. I think McDavid is the lead pipe cinch. Uh, you, you pay him whatever whatever you can get him for right now, and, and you're, <laughs> you're content with that deal. He's going to be the best player in the league for a long time. Like He, he is absolutely money well spent. No, no, way, no, way, no other way to look at it. With Dreisaitl, it is a bit of a gamble because, again, like he's he's had one really good season in the National Hockey League, and suddenly he's uh, you know got this contract that is in the McDavid stratosphere. So that is a bit of a a gamble. But uh, Shirelli is 
like he knows the player. He's watched him. He knows his character. He knows what you know. Drysaddle, you know, his potential could be. And and if and if he does uh, duplicate what he does or improve on what he did, then it's a it's a brilliant signing because to have somebody who's you know in the top ten in scoring in a, in a secondary role, six foot two, six foot three, two hundred and fifteen pounds, who can play center or the wing is exactly what you're looking for as a, as a second line guy, but. It is a bit of a gamble. He's only done it for one year in a row, and and this organization's future is basically tied to this deal. If, if Leon Dreisaitl lives up to the expectations of the general manager and hopefully himself, then it's an it's an excellent deal. It's then those two guys are going to be the cornerstone of this team for a long time. And if if it goes the other way and suddenly he is you know a, for lack of a better word a flop and and it doesn't work out, then this franchise is in grave danger because they've you know dedicated a massive part of the salary cap to those two guys and, and if only one of them is is pulling through then then you've got a bit of trouble and the Oilers kind of have a history of this obviously with Taylor Hall, Jordan Everly and Ryan Nugent Hopkins all three of those young players in their second year deals signed for you know six years six million dollars and a lot of people said you know that was too much too soon and to some extent to varying degrees with each player it's stripped them of a little bit maybe of their hunger and, and kind of brought a sense of entitlement into the dressing room that they spent a lot of a lot of years trying to battle. So to turn around and do the exact same thing with Leon Dreisaitl and to a lesser extent McDavid, you know, people absolutely have those concerns, but I think we're talking about a different animal with Dreisaitl. I think that uh, he's the real deal. He's a, he's a big thoroughbred, and if he uh, lives up to the deal, you know, who knows where the salary cap is going, but if he, if he lives up to the deal and is the same player a little bit better than he was last year, then it's a, it's a great signing. Now, Rob, how do they, they fill in the roster around them? Because you got four defensemen that are all inked for at least four more years and at least $4 million per year, and you've got the deals for Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Milan Lucic. So even if, if Dreisaitl and McDavid prove to be everything we expect them to be, how do they fill out the roster around them to, to still win Stanley Cups? Yeah, they're going to have to be better uh, – at what they have been weakest at for the longest time, and that is developing your own players to come in and fill those holes. You need guys making minimum wage, like the Blackhawks have done so well for the longest time. They bring them up through your organization, underpay them for a long time while they're making these big contributions, and then feed off of that. And then uh, guys are going to have to move. Like Ryan Nugent Hopkins is making $6 million. That can't last. He's got to go. And then Lucic, you know he's got the no trade, so you can't do can't do a whole bunch with him. There's a there's a few guys that are coming up into restricted free agency in a couple of years, and they're going to be in that in that Blackhawk boat where, you know, we like this guy. He's a great player, but we just simply cannot afford him right now. So they're going to have to let players go, and they're going to have to fill those holes with uh, players from within. Hopefully that they can you know uh, draft and develop, and then if you know the organization becomes something where people want to play with Connor McDavid and want to be in the the nicest rink in the league and think they might have a chance to win, then it might be easier to fill some of those other spots with uh, short-term free agents. But yeah, Shirelli has, even though he's got a couple of major cornerstones in place with the two centers and his goalie and a, and a, and a, few, and a few defensemen signed up for good deals, he's really going to have to work to get this team to the next level because uh, the money is about to get very, very tight next year. Before we dive into the guts of this roster, Rob, I wanted to just get a sense of what it feels like up there. You mentioned earlier, and we all know the number, that it had been 10 years since Edmonton had made the playoffs, and clearly this organization has some great history, 
Have those comparisons come up yet? Have people talked about the Gretzky-Messier comparisons with, with McDavid and Dreisaitl? They were talking about Gretzky and Messier when it was back with Taylor Hall and Ryan Nugent Hopkins. They've been <laughs> dying for something like that to come down the pipe. Uh, yeah, they are. Um, McDavid to Gretzky is anything to Gretzky is a stretch, but McDavid is a is just a, a special player, and he will be, I think, you know, the Sidney Crosby of this generation for a long time to come. Drysdale isn't quite cut from the Messier cloth, although he did deliver a nice spear in last year's playoffs that would have made Messier proud. But uh, <laughs> he's, you know, he's a, he's a big center. You know, he's a. It's been a long time since they've had a one-two punch like that, and that is exactly what successful teams in the National Hockey League have. Is 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 depth down the middle where you can, you know, you roll out Connor McDavid's line, and then, you know, holy cow, and then the next shift Leon Dreisaitl hops over the boards with Lutich or somebody like that. It's a, it's a real formidable. Uh, attack to deal with, and and it's uh, something that that fans here have been dying for for a long time. So they are, yeah, this city is 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 is, is as excited as it's been in, in a long, long time. Especially just in comparing in comparing it to how bad it was in years previous. Like any any team that had this sort of situation right now would be excited, but imagine how excited it, the team that has this situation now after ten years of being just an embarrassment to the National Hockey League. It's uh, it's night and day. Rob, going back to to the Lucic deal, what was the thought process be behind signing him for as long as they did? Yeah, he it's too long, and everybody kind of understands that. Like he was a little, he's a little slow already. But the the Oilers were, and you know, this doesn't show up in a lot of the analytics and the highlights. But if you if you watch the team night in and night out, they would they would go into Los Angeles or Anaheim or St. Louis and a lot of places and they would be physically pushed out of the game. Like their, their guys would get run. They would be intimidated. Their, their players couldn't play. There was just uh they were just the weak sisters. They would go in there and, and you know, they would get their, they would be locked in their lockers and their heads held in the toilet and their tubes taken away. And there was nothing they could do about it. And no matter how skilled they were, they were just, they were just a soft, weak team that you could easily push around. And the opponents said it like when, when the Oilers were, you know, last season when they added Lucic and Maroon and, and Cassian and Darnell Nurse, they they absolutely changed the face of the team. Like now they roll into Los Angeles and you know they're the bullies. They're the team that, that pushes that pushes teams around and nobody sort of nobody messes with them anymore. And we talked to teams opponents of the Oilers and they would say like like verbatim like we would go into Edmonton or Edmonton would come in our building and we would push them out of the game. We would just take away their will, and it was it was easy. And they were they were saying this for the record. And and now you know you look across the ice, and there's Lucic who just arrives at the rink in a bad mood every day. And there's Patrick Maroon, <laughs> and there's Cassian, and there's all these you know 220 pound, 230 pound guys, and they sort of feed off each other, and everybody's got their back. And then on top of that, you have some of the best skilled players in the National Hockey League. You know, so that is that's something that a lot of a lot of teams are having a lot of trouble dealing with, and. When you have a player like McDavid, you know, the, the age of the goon is gone, right? You can't have Dave Semenko or George LaRock anymore riding shotgun, but you can have a team that will, you know, really keep the opponents on their toes. And, and they, these are guys who can play as well. They're not just thugs. So they get in there, they forecheck, they wear the defenseman down. And, and Lucic is kind of the head of that. He is, you know, the, one of the toughest guys in the league. And that contract is going to catch up at some point. You know, it's, it, was, it was too long, so he's going to have to trim down and, and become a faster player, sort of reinvent himself a little bit. 
and I think he will. I think he's excited about what's going on here, and he's a he's a proud athlete. So, you know, they needed him to change the face of the organization, and it was mission accomplished. They were a totally different team last year when they went into those big buildings. You know, they pushed St. Louis around. They pushed the Kings around. You know, nobody messes physically with the Oilers anymore, and that's that's what Shirelli, you know, when his teams in Boston were so good, that's that's what he had there, and that's what he wanted here. I want to get your read on a couple of trades, uh, one that has been explored ad nauseum, probably to the point of obsession, especially on the part of Taylor Hall himself, who still admits to thinking about the Oilers quite a bit. But your read on, <laughs> on how the Taylor Hall-Adam Larson deal impacted both teams, and then, of course, Jordan Eberle for Ryan Strom. Your thoughts on that one as well. Yeah, the 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 Hall the Hall Larson one really shook the city. They're like, you've got to be kidding me! Like nobody's really heard that much of Larson. Like you 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 know, what are you doing trading one of the top wingers in the National Hockey League on a team that didn't have a, that wasn't generating a lot of offense to begin with, and you trade away one of your top offensive guys for this stay at home defenseman, and and it was yeah that that trade was not well received by everybody, including myself. I thought it was. I understand they needed a, a anchor defenseman, but I didn't think they, I didn't think they were getting enough for him. <clears throat> In retrospect, it was it was a good deal. He's made the team he's made the team better. He's filled up a, a glaring weakness. They were they were a disaster in their own zone, and he is a, a physical guy. Like he's he's a lot meaner and tougher than I ever ever thought he would be. You know, a lot of players get lost in Jersey because nobody outside of Jersey cares much about the Devils. But he's a he's a hard guy to play against. He's a smart guy. He's a veteran guy. He's really popular in the room. And he was part of that culture change too. Like again, Taylor Hall was, you know, nothing against him. He's a great guy and a great player, but you know, they were trying to get rid of that sense of entitlement that some of the players had. And in, in bringing in Larson, he's really addressed uh, a key area and he's made the team uh, a lot better. You know, Shirelli described it once. I, I kind of like that analogy. When you're building a football team, you know, everybody looks at the running back and the quarterback, but you know, the successful NFL teams, they, they, they draft the top offensive linemen, you know, your guards, the, the guys who can protect your quarterback and open the holes for the, for the running back. And they're not the most glorified positions. You don't hear about them a lot, but if you don't have them, your team is never going to be any good. And that's what they got in Adam Larson, who's a guy who doesn't, you know, he doesn't move the needle that much, but you have to have players like that if you're going to be a good team. And, and uh, everybody who was a critic of that deal is looking at it now and saying, okay, I see what he was, I see what he was going for there. And Strom Everly, it's a, it was a budget cut. I believe it was one of the guys making $6 million that they gave the contract to uh, too quickly. And he wasn't not a soft player, but he didn't really engage. He wasn't as physical. He backed away, and they wanted to see how he would perform in the playoffs, and he just didn't change much. They thought it would be an opportunity for him to say, okay, you know, the, the bullets are flying for real now. Here's what I can do. And he he just, you know, didn't didn't go into the corners as much as they wanted to and turned away from some checks and stuff like that. So they said, okay, six mil. <clears throat> we'll give you a fresh start somewhere else and we'll take Strom. And, and Strom's a question mark. Like he's kind of been a guy who's maybe underachieved a little bit. It's, we'll see what's expected of him. You put him on a line with Connor McDavid and all of a sudden you might look like a genius. Uh, if not, it's a short-term investment and they'll try something else in the future. Rob, you mentioned the importance now of having either prospects or maybe even cheap players that you can pick up, step in, and make an impact. Jesse Pugliarvi certainly fits the bill as one of their top prospects. Is he ready to make an impact? And, and even beyond him, do we have any other prospects in the system that could step in this year? He, he They're really counting on him. 
because uh, the, the 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 big prospect jump came last year where they had uh, Drake Kajula uh, up front and Matt Benning on defense, a couple of college guys who stepped in and did did really well, uh, overachieved. Uh, so he is he's definitely with with moving Everly on the right wing uh, out, and if they want to put Drysaddle at center instead of having him on the right wing with uh, Connor McDavid, they're thin on the right side, and they need a guy who's you know six three two fifteen with a really booming shot and who can move a little bit. So. They're crossing their fingers that, that this kid is ready to go now because they really need him. And he's he's a high-end pit. Uh, but he kind of went down the same road that Dreisaitl did. Like, in Dreisaitl, his first year, he played, you know, 30-some-odd games. And they said, okay, he's just he's not ready yet. They sent him back to junior. Uh, his second year, he came to training camp, and he just wasn't good enough. He got cut, sent him to the American League. And people are thinking, oh, great, this guy's a bust. And then, you know, halfway through that second year, they called him up, and, and he never looked back. He finished the season really strongly, and then his third year was was brilliant. So nobody's really panicking yet with Puyo-Yarvi. They got barely speaks English. It was, a, it was a big leap for him coming over here. So the fact that he didn't make the team in his first season is no big deal. And, you know, they're they're hoping he makes it uh, uh, in the second year. Uh, if he doesn't, you know, they're not going to quite give up on him yet. But, they're definitely counting on him to be a guy who uh, who steps up and, and makes a real big impact. And again, it's it's a guy that you put. And I saw when I saw in the Gretzky era, they'd bring up guys that you thought were who's this. They put him on Gretzky's line for a little while, and wow, this guy's great. You know, Glenn say this is a genius. They're hoping that that sort of impact can happen again, where you put him with Connor McDavid for 20 games, and he's getting a whole bunch of points, and his confidence is up, and you know, you're off to the races. So, yeah, definitely, Puliyarvi is. A key, a key player in, in the uh, Oilers' plans this season. You mentioned Matt Benning. I'm just curious what your take is on the blue line, what the internal read is on this blue line. Is, is there enough there? Is there enough depth, enough skill? Sure. Like it's, it, uh, it doesn't look great on paper. They got you know the two Swedes look good with Kleffbaum and Larson, and then um, the, 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 the difficult part this year is Sekera is going to miss two or three months uh, with with the injury he had last year, late last season, surgery and such, so that's going to put them in a in a bit of a of a setback. So they might start slowly, but there were concerns about the blue line heading into the playoffs, and they were fine. Like there was there was nothing wrong with the blue line at all. Uh, that top four, they rolled a lot of minutes, and then you've got Darnell Nurse, who's a young guy and getting better, and then you have some veterans, you know, like Eric Riva and stuff. So I I think I think they're I think they're fine in that respect. Out of the gate with. Sekera missing a little bit of time. There might be uh, a bit of a hiccup, but I think their top four is fine. The two Swedes are a really solid pairing. Sekera is also good. Benning, Benning's a really good player. Like he's 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 uh, he's tough. He's solid. You know he's you know getting. And it was just a rookie, so you're you're expecting him to be a lot a lot better. Uh, and Chris Russell again, they re-signed him, who's a veteran, tough guy, responsible in his own end. You know they don't necessarily have. You know the Drew Doughty puck mover that uh, you know the headline stealer, but they're good defensively, which they haven't been in a long time. <clears throat> and with the forwards that they have, you know you don't necessarily need a ton of offense from your blue line any more than they got last year. But I think just in and of itself, the, the blue line is is good enough right now. And I don't think it's a Stanley Cup championship blue line, but I think it's definitely something that can get you through. And it did last year uh, to the second round of the playoffs and almost to the conference final. Rob, last one for you. Obviously, Edmonton's not going to care who they're playing if they are getting to the Stanley Cup and potentially winning them in the future. But can you give us a sense here in the States how much of a buzz it would generate if it ever became McDavid versus Matthews and the Leafs in the Stanley Cup? 
Oh, they would, they would, they would literally shut down the country for for, <laughs> for that for that series. It is, it's a, it's a really weird little rivalry that's growing here because there's nothing geographic about it. They're on opposite ends of the country. It's a four and a half hour flight, but they both kind of were crappy for the at the same time for about the same time, and they both are starting to get good, really good at the same time. They both have a player that. Uh, you know, the Leafs believe Matthews is the best player in the league. They're already, you know, you'll see on Twitter, anytime somebody says something about Matthews, it'll be all the guys at Edmonton saying, you know, he's no McDavid and, and vice versa. <clears throat> and it would be a great series, like two really good elite level teams filled with young superstars going at it in the Stanley Cup final. It would be, it would be monumental. It would be, yeah, Edmonton hates Toronto to begin with. So if you all of a sudden you're you're saying that the Leafs are going to try and take the Stanley Cup that Edmonton's been waiting for forever, and that Austin Matthews is better than Connor McDavid, it would be, yeah, it would be earth shaking to say the least. <laughs> it would be pretty fun. Rob Tishkovsky of the Edmonton Sun, thanks so much for the uh, the time this afternoon, and enjoy the start of the season here coming up pretty soon. All right, thanks for having me. Thanks, Rob. Yeah, great insight there on on certainly one of the. The teams that is becoming high profile, probably faster than anybody else. I mean, it really is Edmonton and Toronto at this point. Two teams that went from the the bottom and have now become legitimate, I don't know, probably legitimate cup contenders. Can you say that about the Oilers? They're missing so many pieces around McDavid and Dreisaitl, but they've got two potential number one centers. Yeah, and then you look around the West, and, and who who jumps out at you as an absolute contender for the cup final there isn't another one. yeah because the hawks and kings have dropped off we, we've talked about anaheim maybe being that team but i don't think there's a an obvious choice nashville they lost james neal in the offseason now they're going to be about ryan ellis for a very long time so it's it, it feels wide open we, we talked about this expecting the western conference at some point to hit this transition period where those young teams we're going to start. It was almost like it's like when hot water starts to rise to the top. I love the, it when you get scientific. Science, yes. Yes. This is my science lesson here. Okay, good. So it, where, where it would turn over and we'd have this period of transition where some of those younger teams are starting to pass as as the uh, older teams, the, the successful teams of the past is starting to sink down. And it feels like that's where we are right now in the state of the Western Conference, which makes it a lot of fun, to be honest, because it's really hard to predict. Yeah, and you know you can look at other teams around the West. Calgary, since we're talking about Edmonton right now from Alberta, I mean Calgary is is taking a slightly different path than the Oilers, but they are certainly on the rise as well. And Edmonton kind of got the fast pass with Connor McDavid, but whatever they have him. And you know as much as we make fun of the Oilers, and we have for the last four or five years for just consistently getting the number one overall pick and not really being able to make a winner out of it. The Dreisaitl pick, he wasn't number one overall. There was a couple guys that went in front of him. Uh, there was, it was, I guess it was fairly obvious to take him where they did. But they got him number three overall, I believe. But still, I mean, it's it's interesting that all those guys they picked number one, Neil Yakupov and Ryan Nugent Hopkins and Taylor Hall, the only one that has stuck is obviously Connor McDavid. But their second best player now is a guy they took that wasn't number one overall. And it's it, it, it makes them a fun team to watch, to your point, there really is no clear-cut uh, dominant team in the West. I still think Chicago can be a team at, near the top of the West, but they're not dominant right now. They're going to have to change something to become dominant. Yes, Anaheim's there. Uh, we talked about Dallas last week as maybe a contender, but is it any more crazy to think Edmonton is a contender than Dallas? Dallas didn't even make the playoffs last year. Right, and they've got their own issues. We, we have to we have to see proof that they're better defensively. I prob- they probably will be under hitch, but will they be better defensively? Will the goaltending be 
markedly better than it's been in the past. A couple other things that jumped out at me. Um, I'm not sure I'm entirely on board with the everybody who looks at the Taylor Hall Adam Larson deal now agrees that it was a good deal. I think it's just me and you that don't like it. Mm, and Jamie, I, I think there are a lot of I, I think this is more of a, an internal belief. Like in Edmonton, I, th- I think a lot of people from the outside still look at this and say, "No way, Taylor Hall's the better player, and and history will bear this out." We'll have to see. And if Edmonton wins cups, nobody's going to care, right? Because they got a defenseman. Their their defense is better. And you understood why they did it. You just felt like they could have gotten a better defenseman for Taylor Hall because he's such a marquee player. Yeah. So I, I, I still think that Taylor Hall is going to have the better career than Adam Larson. But again, if Edmonton wins cups, so be it. Ryan Strom, I mean, that's, that is a salary dump that you got to get rid of Jordan Eberle's contract. But Ryan Strom, skating with Connor McDavid, I have a hard time seeing that, to be honest. he's How's he going to keep up, first of all? How does anybody he, keep up? Well, but he's he's not fast. He's not a good skater. And Connor McDavid's one of the best skaters in this he game. He can be the so. trailer, right? <laughs> yes. <it> just, <laughs> you just pass the fuck around. You just hang the out at the, the blue, you know, get a, get a head start and try and keep up. Yeah, no, that's a great point. Now, it really does speak to the bigger issue with the Oilers. They had a nice run last year, but they made it to the, the second round, and they really pushed. Uh, they were nearly in the third round last year. I mean, they, they got that close to making the Western Conference final. Your expectation then is, okay, well, that's sort of the baseline to build from going forward. That was really only Connor McDavid's first full NHL season. So, you know, this year they take the next step and maybe they take a couple steps and they get to the Stanley Cup. But the problem is McDavid had 100 points last year. Maybe he can be better, and that's fine. He he could certainly be better in the playoffs than he was. Mm-hmm. How much better can Dreisaitl be? And really what I'm getting at is you can't ask a whole lot more of those two. It's the guys around them, and they are still – locked into contracts with a lot of players. And you heard Rob say it right there that, you know, a guy like Ryan Nugent Hopkins, they have to get rid of him. And yeah. he knows it and they know it. Yeah. So yeah. And, and Lucic, as he said, too, he's, he's already starting to slow down. Yeah. Those contracts are going to look worse the longer they go. And it's, it's going to hamstring them, depending, of course, on what the cap does. If it stays relatively flat like it has the couple last couple of years, then it's really going to be a problem for them. I'm convinced Lucic got that deal because who's going to tell Lucic no if he's <laughs> in their offense? Like, he tells you he wants $6 million a year for, what, seven years? You're just going to kind of give it to him, apparently. But, uh, yeah, that'll do it for the Oilers. Later on in the week, we'll be talking the Toronto Maple Leafs, so the other half of that, I don't think it's going to be the Stanley Cup this year, but potential future Stanley Cup. And then also, big news, we'll be talking about the Colorado Avalanche later this week. So, Make sure you put your seatbelts on for that one if you wear a seatbelt when you listen to a podcast. (laughs) All right. On that note, for Craig Morgan, not Jamie Eisner, he's still on vacation. I'm Luke Lipinski. Thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.